get very comfortable being rejected and be very comfortable with people saying no. You know, just like when somebody calls off my mailer, hey, please take me off, off of your mailing list. I'm never selling my house, click. You know, no problem. I'm so glad to hear from you. You know, always respond positively. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents in our industry hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That's the question. And this podcast is the answer. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I just finished interviewing Jonathan, who you're about to hear, but there was a couple nuggets I just wanted to add to this to make sure that you guys listen. I mean, this guy started going to college when he was 14 years old. You know, he became an agent at 18. He's been an agent for 10 years. He did 100 transactions last year, 134 million. He's already at 110 million this year. He gets to talk about being someone's assistant on a team for years before he was able to build and grow his own team. He was the youngest person ever to get on the Wall Street Real Trends, you know, top 250 based on sales volume. And that was when he was 24 years old. And it was from stuff that he did when he was 23. I mean, he was a go-getter, but also has had to change his real estate you know, business many, many times in the last 10 years. And he's gonna talk to us a lot about that. So you know, dial up, be ready to listen. I think you guys are gonna have a good time. Real Estate Rockstars, I am back. I'm Aaron Muchastegui, and today I get to interview Jonathan Spears. So I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. I got to read some of the pre-interview stuff that he did with Curtis and some of the show notes. You know, Jonathan has been a go-getter from a young age. You know, he got his he got his license when he was 18. He's been a license, you know, he's been a licensed agent for 10 years out in Florida, doing 100 transactions a year. So a lot of cool stuff there. But also we're going to get into kind of how he got started at so young, being so successful so quick. A lot of tips today for new agents, a lot of tips about how to persevere through everything. And uh, Jonathan, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. I'm just glad to be here. Yeah. And so you're out in Florida right now. So I'm, I'm in Texas and right now the world is like, oh my gosh, coronavirus is back. We're going to lock us back up. What's, what's the feeling like in Florida when it comes to you know, weather or people outside or people worried? What's the, yeah. what's the story on the street? Yeah, well, it's, you know, typical Florida. We got afternoon thunderstorms and really hot weather. So <laughs> weather-wise, we're great. Uh, people are active. They're outdoors. Um, I'm in a spot where it's really easy to try to distance yourself socially because we've got miles and miles and miles of gorgeous beach to do that. But, you know, here uh, we've obviously got a lot of influx with tourism. Uh, summer's our peak season. So we've got basically a drive-to market where we're getting influx from Texas and all the southeastern states and i feel like everybody is in florida right now so it's um it's been interesting we've been wearing our masks and trying to be as cautious as possible especially when showing property but um you know the vibe here is strong and we're thankful for that it's keeping our economy going yeah the economy is an important thing you know we've heard from agents all over the place that it's been Really, I mean, every agent I've interviewed in the past month or two has said it's a super hot market, lots of transactions happening that even though yeah. the world has, even though we're doing them a little different, and sometimes yeah. it's like virtual showings and things, but it's just a super hot market. Is, do, you, do you agree with that? Is it a hot market? 
Yeah, very. I mean, and here's the thing. People have had time to reflect on their life and what experience they want for their family. And right now they're taking action on the time that they've had to, to sit and think what lifestyle they want. And we're thankful to be positioned in an area that people love to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, I, when I was talking to Jeff Cohn last week, he said it's the hottest market he's ever seen in his career, like period. And the, uh, and it depends on the state and depends on the place, but we have heard a lot of that. So Jonathan, take us back to, you know, how, how did you get into real estate? And you can take that story all the way back to, you know, I, I saw a lot of things about how much stuff you've accomplished in your life at such a young age. The let's, let's bring us along for that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I kind of had a unique story getting into real estate. So I started college at a very early age and I was very entrepreneurial and, um, you know, 14 years old, my mom was dropping me off to take college courses. And uh, I remember kids in class calling me Doogie Hauser. I had no idea who Doogie Hauser was at the time. So typical millennial get on my, uh, my, my Palm pilot at the time. So before the iPhone and looked up on YouTube, you know, who is Doogie Hauser? And that name stuck with me throughout college and also early into my career. But, you know, being able to, to get a jump start early on education was great because I was kind of in flux trying to figure out, okay, what is it that I want to do? And even more interestingly, it was during the Great Recession. So I remember sitting in finance class and watching Lehman Brothers collapse. And it was like, you know, what, where, am I, where am I going in business? Because that was my passion. And real estate was a very natural progression for me. It was uh, really something that I saw as an opportunity to problem solve for others. And so I remember spending my 18th birthday, which was in January of 2010, studying for the exam and uh, got my license shortly thereafter and immediately went to work. Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat Hyven. Now, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49. On there, I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, and in there too, he talked a lot about his six steps for seven figures book and training program that he built over the last couple of years. And I realized I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we've built for you out there. So if you want to check out Pat's course, we've got like a three minute summary video when you go to it. It includes so many easy to follow tips that you can follow on it like a day to day basis. You can email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. If you find that, you go to rebusuniversity.com, R-E-B-U-S, rebusuniversity.com. Look at courses. You can find the six steps for seven figures book. And really, there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too. Our normal prices used to be $1,500 or $2,000 a course. These are real deal professional courses. But now uh, during quarantine, a lot of them are priced down like 90 bucks, 95 bucks. So we've slashed the prices because we know right now is a time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education, especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do. And if you go in there and you figure like, like there's a lot of different courses you want, maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte. You go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay. You get access to every course we've ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption.
So the, so how did you, so 14, you went to college. So were you, yeah. were you homeschooled? Were you fast tracked through regular education? What, what was that? So that was my first foray into true prospecting because I was homeschooled and there was a dual enrollment program at our local college, which essentially uh, you're able to leverage state funds to go ahead and get your uh, associate's degree prior to graduating high school. And I called the dean of the college up and basically explained my situation. I'm homeschooled. uh, I'm looking to enroll in classes and I'm, I'm in the 10th grade homeschool wise, even though my age didn't reflect that I was two years ahead of the curve. And so it took a little bit of convincing, but they allowed me to, to go in and, and take a college placement test. And the rest was history, I was able to ace the test and start taking classes full time, which was which was great. I was excited to get to do that. That is cool. The one of our, my other my other things, my other businesses, my wife and I, we we wrote we wrote a book called the Five Hour School Week. The you know we pulled our kids out of school, we homeschool, we travel, and 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 during this, during quarantine, during coronavirus, during all, I mean, her Instagram, her everything has absolutely blown up with people wow. interested in homeschooling, wanting to learn more about homeschooling, and there are so many questions of that where people say. What about college? So I could, I could get off, totally get off on a tangent of that with you, but a very cool thing. You, like you said, your first Absolutely. interest, like it's not like a 14 year old can't just apply for classes, Correct. but it is possible if they're going to go work hard and, and go through it. You had to do some convincing. You had to get them to essentially say that, say that you're their guy. So, all right. So you got into real estate. What was your first year like in real estate? The, you know, how many, how many deals did you do and, and what did you experience? So in 2010, being here on the Gulf Coast, I don't know if you remember this or not, being in Texas, but we had the BP oil spill where you had CNN, live camera, oil pumping out into the Gulf of Mexico. You know, our, our economy rallies around tourism, and that was one of the most brutal aspects of the recession was kind of a twofold, one, hitting a financial crisis in America, and then two, this BP oil spill. So my first year in real estate was extremely tough. Everything was uphill battle. And when I was trying to figure out, okay, where am I going to hang my license? How am I going to start to enter this market that uh, seemingly is the worst market to ever start real estate uh, in the history of, of our area? It was apparent that I needed to find somebody that was still a market leader, despite all of the adversity that was going on in the area. So uh, I nestled up under a top broker who was essentially doing foreclosures and they were doing 200 plus foreclosure transactions per year. The inventory was so steady because of the amount of foreclosures that happened in 2008 and 2009 that by 2010, I mean, he was getting, you know, 100 plus broker price opinion requests from banks ranging from Wells Fargo to Bank of America. So I started working with him as a licensed assistant at a very small boutique brokerage. And that's where my career uh, foundation was laid. Yeah. And so were you just, were you at the beginning, were you just doing a bunch of BPOs, a bunch of support for him to get the, right. the listings? Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning, I, uh, I was doing broker price opinions from seven o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night. And what was so unique about that time frame is that I was in a salary position, you know, working for an individual agent who had seven or eight different assistants just to try to support this business model of high transaction volume and constant turnover with REO. And for me, just getting an understanding of our market by doing broker price opinions was, I literally couldn't parallel it anywhere else. It was a very unique start because I was servicing such a wide swath of area. I mean, almost, you know, a third of our state understanding intimately 
details about different properties coming to market. So from a knowledge basis, it was a, it was a, a turning point in my career where value was driven by market statistics. And yeah. that's, where, that's where I immersed myself. Yeah. That, and that story is, is really so cool. And that's, that's something that any agent can do now, right? Like you can actually do a price opinion or a bunch of price opinions to learn a market. But when Jonathan's talking about doing hundreds of them, like absolutely, you know, you, you not only get faster at them, but you start to notice a bunch of different things. So 2010, that's kind of crazy because you said that the, you had the oil spill at the same time and then the REO transactions. I yeah. was, I stopped being a home builder in 2009 and this was out in California. And that's when we really started buying the foreclosures. And at that time, at first we were trying to buy them as REOs from agents, but unless we knew the right agent, we couldn't get it. So it's kind of like those REO agents really had it down. Like they proved themselves in like 2008, right? So now the bank is giving them all the listings, but then they also had all of their buyers kind of built in for the most part. So they're like, it's just about the transaction, different sort of real estate. You're not trying to get the deal. You're trying to crank through the deals and right. make it more of a machine. And at that time we were buying, so we started buying foreclosures on the courthouse steps instead before they got listed to agents. And we were comping hundreds of houses a day. And you're absolutely right that when you're doing that many, it's the same as a BPO, right? But we're doing our own spreadsheet. This is how much it's worth. When you're doing that many every day, you're learning that this neighborhood, just a block over is this much more or the stuff that backs up to this street is worth so much less than the ones that don't. And so, yeah, yeah so you got to learn all of that. So when, how long was it from, for, so you came in and you, you kind of joined someone else's team. You were an assistant doing yeah. ad, admin type stuff, but it really learned how long until you actually got to take the reins and get a listing starting because now you're doing a hundred transactions a year. You are no yeah. longer an admin. You're no, like you are, you are running the boat now. How long before you got to start making that transition? Well, so it's interesting. You know, I started as an assistant essentially and the assistant role is what allowed me to kind of build a knowledge base towards selling. But that business, like you said, is very reactive. You know, you're already kind of on this treadmill of receiving listing assignments, their assignments from the bank and you're reacting to them. And that aspect of the business was uh, overwhelming and it taught me to multitask at a really high level. And I spent two years working just about strictly as an assistant for this REO firm. And it wasn't until 2012 did I really start delving, delving into selling. And I had to finish my college degree. So while I was doing this whole BPO thing, I wrapped up my college degree just before I turned 19. And that kind of like gave me some confidence to, to really free up my time to go out and sell. But again, it was very reactive. You know, I was working with investors just like yourself who, you know, they were calling our office and asking, okay, we need a hot sheet for REOs. We'd like to be the first one to know, we know how competitive this is. And we're starting to miss deals at the courthouse steps because the banks are taking them back at a higher price point as the market started to improve a little bit. Um, and they were finding better success at selling them at a higher level. So I figured out very quickly, how do I bring value to these people that, you know, they want this information that I have first. And so I created uh, basically a gateway for being a proprietary source of that information for prospective investors. So I built a client base of investors in my first year or two in real estate that we just kept going after these different foreclosures that started to, to come up within our own database. So not only were we creating our own inventory, essentially, by being that gateway for REOs from the banks, but we were also creating a steady lead of absorption, uh, which was double ending essentially, um, from these investors that we had built relationships with over the years. Yeah, the, it, and it really was uh, those 
2009 to 2012 really was an innovative time. There was, there was so right. much of that because people were, by the time 2012 came, that's when the big hedge funds got into the business of foreclosures and, and that sort of thing. And it, and it was kind of like the, the, you know, the buck was up at that point. But for those first few years, there was so much innovation of people learning systems and doing you know, new things. And so you were able to find that niche. So what about now? So like let's fast forward, and so I guess we're going to jump a bunch of stages. But now, yeah. now you're out in Florida. What's your team look like now, and how do you get your deals? Yeah. So well, going from that reactive state uh, of doing REO inventory, I found very quickly that I gravitated towards luxury products. So the REO inventory was uh, simply a placeholder and a experience, but as I watched the hot sheet every day, I would always gravitate towards the highest price points and just understanding that side of the market. When we got that stray luxury foreclosure, I would put everything into it. And um, everything meaning understanding the market um, and prospecting heavily for a buyer for that particular property. And that allowed me to start to build my clientele towards a luxury base. Fast, fast forward to 2015, I decided that in order to serve this client base that I had worked so hard to create, I needed to transition to a brand that I could represent property at a high level. So Sotheby's International Realty had entered our market in 2014. I've been watching what they did very closely and decided to affiliate with Sotheby's at the beginning of 2015 uh, as a single agent. So I did not have a team at the time. And when I affiliated with Sotheby's the year prior, I was 22. I had sold $24 million in business by myself. The first year with Sotheby's, I doubled my business. So I sold just under 50 million as a single agent. And the transition was brutal because I had to figure out how do I go from answering the phones all day to picking up the phone and making the calls? And that reactive versus proactive nature is, is a hard one to turn off because when your phone's ringing off the hook, you're so used to answering and not really having the time to place many calls after that. And when I, I distinctly remember getting into my beautiful new office at Sotheby's and meeting with the sales manager and they're like, all right, Jonathan, you're good to go. Here's our tools. And sitting in my office and kind of looking at my phone and going, okay, you know, the way I used to do business isn't going to work anymore. And so slowly but surely, I sought out opportunities to create value in the market with, with uh, different seller profiles. And for me, it was leveraging the tools that Sotheby's International Realty offered at the time to create value with people who wanted to sell their property at a high level. And so going from somebody who is selling low price foreclosures to the upper tier of the market is a very interesting and difficult jump. Not to mention, I'm only 23 and uh, I had a baby face like no other. So people would always ask me, you know, are you out of high school? Like, what are you doing? You know, are you somebody's assistant? Right, how'd and, you get this listing? Yeah. How'd you get this listing? So, you know, having that understanding, that intimate knowledge of the market is really where you can kind of separate yourself from the pack. And, you know, it's not really about age at that point. It's about value. And how are you bringing value to that person? Yeah, if somebody's questioning your age, whether people think you're too old or too young, or they're trying to question your experience or you're new or anything else, actual knowledge, actual statistics, knowing your market can offset any of that. So anyone out there that's listening, if, if you're fighting that, right, if, if you're looking at something where somebody's saying, well, no, you're not the right fit for this, or they're questioning whether or not you, know, you should be there or should be their agent or anything else, a lot of what Jonathan's talking about is know your numbers, know the statistics, know the data, and you can win that argument.
Hey, Real Estate Rockstars listeners. I am sorry to interrupt again, but I want to do a quick commercial break. But this commercial break is different. This is stuff that I think you need, and this is me talking to you about some of the stuff that we had. So, you know, recently we had a lot of people reach out to us and say, hey, why don't you do a real estate mastermind? Why don't you do something where a lot of the listeners can get together and do some Zoom calls and ask each other questions and really just try to brainstorm and work together? I mean, there's a million masterminds out there. I don't know if this is something that we really want to do or not, or if we do, if we're going to limit it to maybe 20 or 30 people. We're just trying to figure out if any of you guys are interested. So if you have any interest at all in joining a mastermind with real estate agents around the country that are part of the Real Estate Rockstars Network, go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind and just join the wait list. It's just a really a form. It's just an interest list for us to see, is this something we want to be doing? So that's that's number one. Number two, you go to hybendigital.com forward slash foreclosures. We have a two day thing that we just finished recording. Now it's also inside Rebus University. And so you can go to Rebus University and look at it. If you're already a member of Rebus, I mean, a lot of you guys are in the, you know, the monthly fee where you get access to everything. So we have a new course in there, 17 hours of content on how to buy foreclosures on how to find deals on how to you know do title you know go to auction also turn that into clients for your real estate agents how you can turn somebody that's in default behind on their mortgages into a client so go you know check out that course especially for you know you can you can buy the course now but again most of you guys already subscribed to all that i just wanted you to know there's another 17 hours of content great great content that i just recorded on there uh, that all of you guys have access to now at rebus university and then finally we have software that we talk about on and off it's called Padhawk, and in Padhawk, you can use that to go find leads. What you know, everyone is really, really busy right now, and we're so, so busy. People are selling, and they're saying there isn't enough product on the market, right? So they're, they're they can't find houses. Well, Padhawk will help you find houses before they're listed. It helps you find owners that should be listing their properties or people that might want to get there. I recorded a quick video. It's like six or seven minutes long for you guys to look at, real estate agent specific on what how you can use the software in order to do it. So let's go to hybendigital.com forward slash leads. Again, there's a video in there. I talk about how you can use the software to do it. Check it out. If it's something that you like, you may want to sign up for it. 99 bucks a month, but nationwide, any city out there, and it is a great way to find houses. So right now, people are saying there's lots of buyers, but we can't find enough houses. Well, maybe you can use this software. You'll find something that hasn't listed yet and make them an offer on their house. All right, back to your regular scheduled program. Thank you for letting me interrupt you with that break. So let's jump back just a second. So the, you were, had a bunch of listings where all you had to do is answer the phone and yeah. say, it was like, Here, here's your listing, go do it. You were doing the transaction. And that is the sort of thing that most agents like wish for, you know, they say, man, those guys have it easy. The people that just get the listings handed to them, the, you know, we would go buy houses and then sell them through our real estate team. And people be like, oh, well, it's really easy to be an agent when you're just giving them the listings. And, and I agree with that. I agree that it is a it is an easier thing when the listings just come to you. Making that transition had to be really really hard, right? Yeah. To go from you know so making those phone calls. What were some of the things that you learned early on with that? So you learned that you still needed a niche and you created your own profiles and things like that. But when you first had to go from hey listings aren't going to come to me, I have to go find them, and wait I've got to become a dialer. What what did you learn during that experience that you know new agents should hear now? I love that term, a dialer. Um, yeah. But it's absolutely what we do. I mean, we we uh, we dial every day and really dial with purpose and with the intention is to create value for the person that's answering the phone on the other line. 
for me, I was transitioning more from representing buyers and spending all day in my car, you know, shuffling people from listing to listing to being in a position where my best value play was representing a seller with the tools in my tool belt that I didn't have previously. And that was really a skill set that had to be developed and cultivated because when you're a buyer's agent, you are very reactive. You know, buyer says jump, you say how high. Buyer says, hey, I need you to meet me at this property at, you know, X time. You say, sure, let me clear my schedule. I had to learn how do I control my business and how do I control my time? And that time management aspect is where that dialing for dollars comes in. You know, you block prospecting windows every day to make sure that you're talking to the people you need to talk to. And so transitioning from the buy side to, to where my business is now, which is heavily weighted on the listing side, uh, that was really the process and the transition from small boutique brokerage to Sotheby's International Realty, where I've got, you know, an international set of tools to bring the widest possible exposure for somebody's property. Yeah. So the, so switching over. So now when it comes to, you know, prospecting, right. And you're doing high end luxury listings, how long does it take for a lot of people say, you know, I, I was dialing, 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 I was doing outreach. I was doing letters. I was door knocking. And then two months later I got my first listing from it or a month later or a week later. What do you think your time frame is for, I guess your average kind of client, right? So the people, the day that you get the outreach, you have the first conversation with them of the ones that you get. Is it 30? Is it a month from now? Is it six months from now? Is it relatively quick? Right. So, you know, my business today is a little different than at the beginning of my career. So the inventory that we represent today is really the upper echelon of the, the market, Northwest Florida. And what's interesting about that is it's not just about having a conversation with a prospect. You know, prospective sellers in a luxury market usually have relationships with all of the top agents in the market. Yep. And, you know, it's really cultivating that relationship to be the person that's positioned to get the business at the right time. So luxury sales aren't always driven by, hey, I need to sell because of X, Y, and Z. Most of them are driven by uh, timing and hey, we feel like the market's inflated. We want to take advantage of that. And we also see another opportunity over here. And, um, you know, being the one positioned to get the business during that time is so important. What we focus on now primarily, though, is just being able to, to stay in front of folks, not only through answering the phones and making those calls, but also through different types of advertising, whether it's our lifestyle advertising on Instagram or lifestyle advertising through social media platforms um, or airport billboards, which, you know, I was one of the early adopters here to, to secure advertising in airports, which even now amongst the pandemic, we still are getting influx and in lead flow on. Uh, which has been quite amazing. But um, it's different avenues to stay in front of people. It's not about just trying to cultivate the relationship in one way or one method. Yeah. So what is your, what is your best method today? What do you think? And, and if somebody was saying, hey, I want to get into, I want to get into luxury real estate and every market's different, but if they were going to focus on just one, what would you tell them? What I would say, if you were trying to cultivate listings in just one sector of the market, I would try to pick up a farming area that you know intimately and that you are borderline obsessed with. You know, that's kind of where I started farming areas where, where areas of the market that I was most passionate about and making sure that not only did I understand who lived there, but I also understand who was transacting there. When I go into listing appointments today, I think one of the strongest messages that I have for 
uh, prospective seller is not only can I show you stats in your market, but let me tell you the story of why these homes transacted. You know, if you've got somebody with a unique property and you're trying to bring the most value to them and, you know, in their mind, of course, their home should be priced ahead of market because it's their home. But being able to come to them and say, look, we sold your neighbor's house for X, Y, and Z because they had, you know, a pool built by a notable architect in Nashville or you know, some unique feature that um, they may not have. Them being able to get that story allows them to digest the market at a higher level. So looking for those small, minute ways to bring value, there's value in the stories as to why people transact. Yeah, especially in that kind of upper market as they change. But so 100 transactions a year, mm-hmm. but, you're, but you're in the luxury space. What's your average price point that you're transacting? Our average price point is 1.4 million. All right. So you're 1.4 million, a hundred of those a year. You've got a team. I think, I think your team, you have a team of seven. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I've got three assistants and three other agents to work with me. So what is that? How do you manage your team? How does that team work? Do your other agents go get their own deals? Do you guys split incoming deals? Do the, do the admin help all of you? Yeah, the admin do help all of us, which, uh, which I'm thankful for. And I know they are as well. <laughs> really, they're the glue that keeps us together. You know, I feel like salespeople live in chaos all the time. You know, our phones are constantly being you know, blown up. My wife always tells me my phone's literally growing out of my ear, which I have to kind of laugh. But um, you know, for me, setting up a team was important when I started to see myself losing business, you know, whether it was just simple follow-up from a previous seller. Um, or it was phone calls that I couldn't get to. I realized very quickly that leveraging other people was the only way to um, continue to grow. I mean, there's only so much we can do as one individual human being. So you get to that point where you decide, hey, look, I need an assistant. That's an important time to start considering a team. Um, Also, if you're a new agent and you're entering into the market, I started in the market on somebody else's team. And being able to grow within that culture was what was so important for me to be able to go off on my own and, and further build upon that success. But if there's one piece of advice I'd have for anybody listening that, you know, either A, feels like they're struggling in their current situation or they're starting to enter into a new phase of selling, I would get under the top producer that you could possibly get under in your marketplace. And that's what would really help you kind of propel yourself towards success. So just to go back and answer your question, um, at the point where I felt like I needed a team was when um, I hired my assistant, Sarah, who's been with me for five years. And this was 2015. Uh, I had sold um, 45 million the year prior. And um, I was quickly becoming the market leader in our area. I was only 23 years old at the time. And I did about 70 million in business. But I wouldn't have been able to do that 70 million had I not have hired Sarah who was not only able to help me schedule showings um, and really all the things I couldn't get to, but also be that support system so that you do get the opportunity to decompress at times. And so you realize very quickly that you can rely on other people to, to be that pillar of strength in areas of your business that you may not be strong in. And it's okay to recognize those things and say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not great at organizing. Let me hire the best possible organizer I can to help me in my business. Yeah. So the, one of the things we talk about on here is a lot of, a lot of agents come on and they kind of donate a toolbox item. So this is something they use in their business and they share it. So the, what's your toolbox item? So I brought a toolbox item that I would say is one of my top ways to get new listings. Okay. And it's just a snapshot of a direct mailer that we utilize. 
And so oftentimes when we've got a new listing or a recent sale or some type of success story in the market, we leverage these mailers to a specific farm area. So earlier in the conversation, I talked about finding that that space in the market that you're obsessed with and going after it. And direct mail is the one way you can get into somebody's living room um, without actually having to be there physically. And the way they perceive it is so interesting because just one direct mailer doesn't typically get the attention of a prospective seller or a buyer. Um, But having that repetition, typically for me, it takes six to seven postcards to a single address for that address to to decide, hey, I'm going to pick up the phone and call this guy. And so, you know, being able to take those mailers that um, I gave you an example of one of them and put them in front of people as frequently as possible with, you know, value, not just really sending them something that says, hey, you know, I'm Jonathan Spears, I'm the top agent in the area, you should call me. But hey, I'm Jonathan Spears, I just sold your neighbor's house for 10% ahead of the last sale in the market. And by the way, the last sale in the market was the highest sale ever. So this is a new notch call me and let me explain to you how I did that and a strategy that we could um, leverage to sell your property. That type of messaging is so important. And um, it's why I want to share it with your viewers today. That is awesome. So you guys will be able to find that as a toolbox download item, but that makes a lot of sense. So you're going out, you're going to, and you're saying, Hey, you have to mail to them six or seven times before they pick up the phone. And every one of those mailers, you're not just saying, Hey, call Jonathan, you're going to provide value. And that may be, Hey, this house comped for this. It may be, Hey, these three houses sold in your neighborhood. There's all sorts of ways as an agent, you know, the agents can provide value right on some of that outreach. And then when you do go to send it, if you're trying to narrow it into a neighborhood, do you have to farm and get your address list or do you just walk into the post office and say, Hey, it's all of this zip code or all of the, cause I think there's different rates for different forms of direct mail. Um, what's your method for that? So that's a great question. Let me um, give you guys a little secret. I use a company called Express Docs. And so if you go to expressdocs.com, they've got a very automated process. We've got a designer on hand that will put together our graphics that we provide to Express Docs and they handle all of the shipping aspects. But we go to, um, you know, different programs, Red X and, and a few other different places to get addresses mm-hmm. and we'll build out these farm areas. So every time we want to send a postcard, you know, we've already got that ready to go and we're not repeating the process all over again. And uh, that's how I would recommend getting started. So I would start with an area that's like 200 homes or less, right? And that may even be ambitious, but start with a small farm area. The, the larger you go, the more diluted your investment's going to get and the more you'll spend every time you send a postcard. If you start with one neighborhood that you absolutely love and you know you want to do business in and you understand and you can talk about on the drop of a dime, um, that's where I would go first. I have not heard anybody say that. So you're saying 200 or less. Start like, don't say it, send it to a big old list. Don't send it to a thousand or two. Cause I've heard people say, no, you have to send it to a giant list to get that. You're saying, no, mm-hmm. find a neighborhood, get 200 or less, really yeah. focus on it. Just pound it by sending out letter after letter. Then when somebody calls, you know what neighborhood they're calling from, oh, right? Absolutely. You yeah. already know you the answer immediately. And you're like, Hey, I just had lunch with your neighbor at, uh, at, the, at the local golf club. And they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, those are the kind of conversations you want to have. You don't want to just pick up the phone and have to say, Oh, hold on, let me get my laptop open so I can talk to you about your area. You need to be so proficient if you're mailing an area that when one of those sellers calls you, you've got all of the stats, all of the information, all the value that they may need during that phone call to set an appointment. The goal is not for somebody to call you and say, Hey, you know, we want you to list our house. The goal is really just getting them on the phone and you getting an audience with them, whether it's through zoom right now, 
um, during this pandemic or, um, you know, wh- whatever means necessary. Yeah. So the, well, I really, really like that. So do you do anything else to filter the list? So you find a neighborhood, do you, do you try to make sure that they're, you know, they have equity or I guess everybody has equity right now or, or so what do you do any sort of filtering or, or not? So when I'm looking at the list, I'm typically targeting areas that, um, you know, they're filtered out based on price point. So if I know that there's a specific neighborhood and there are two streets in that neighborhood that they're million dollar plus homes or they're $5 million plus, whatever that is, I'll hone in on that. And I may not mail the whole neighborhood. I may just target individuals. And so that's a great way to, to, to go about it as well. If there's somebody you've been trying to prospect, um, let's just say you have a buyer for, for, for a specific house and they're not really answering the phone, send them handwritten notes or, or drop them your mailing list and these postcards. And they'll think you're mailing to everybody, but they're going to start seeing your information repetitiously and they'll respond, whether positive or negative. I've had people who pick up the phone and they say, hey, we're never selling. Please don't ever call me again uh, or ever send me a mailer. And I say, you know what? I really appreciate you reaching out. Thank you so much. And, and I take them off my mailing list, but I save their phone number in my phone just in case there's a time where I can call them with value. And, uh, and, you know, we've already had that dialogue. And in other instances, I've had agents call me and say, hey, my customer told me they've got a wall of your postcards in their house. And that when they go to sell their property, they want me to talk with you about their value before we ever even list it. And I'm like, you know, I'm obviously not trying to steal your customer, but I really appreciate the feedback because we work so hard on those mailers and it sounds like they're responding pretty well to them. Yeah, that is, that is really funny when you get that. We get, uh, we get a lot of those calls when we're prospecting to say, hey, because we do a lot of prospecting as investors. Right. You know, and the, and we've got, we've got a software called Padhawk where people can choose a zip code or find people with equity and you know, send postcards and stuff through there. But it is funny when you send them and people are like, Hey, I want to buy your house. It's like, well, it's already listed and go talk to my agent or the agents call and go, why are you trying to steal my, it's like, no, it's, it's really not. I think most agents actually know that. No, it's just a bulk mailer, but still that, that are, those are interesting conversations and be able to, but when somebody goes, Hey, my client has, you know, 10 of your postcards on the wall. You're making it hard to do my business. You're like, well, you've got to step up your mailer game then because <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. So the kind of some, some final thoughts on here. This has been so good for people that, you know, it's so many actionable tips, right? Instead of like do a broad bob, uh, broadcast of, of prospecting, it's like niche down. Find a neighborhood that you want, put all into it. Probably a higher price point because if you're going to focus, because then you only need one of them to be, have a bigger thing. If you're looking at houses that are $75,000 to $100,000, it might be tougher, uh, you know, because w- you get so many listings out of it to really make it pay off on that investment. So you're able to do that investment and push. What are some things that when you first got started in real estate that some, that you wish someone would have told you or that you've known that was an aha moment later that you're like, wow, if I'd have known this last year, my life would be way different. Have you had any of those? I have. And it kind of ties back to some of the dialogue we've had earlier with proactive versus reactive. Um, if I would have started in this business and really understood the value of making the phone call and not waiting for a phone call, Uh, I think that that's something that gets lost in the business today, especially in the economy we've had over the last decade. It's been very positive. You know, the real estate market in most areas is at an all-time high. You know, we even talked about, you know, what are, what are, what's going on in the market year to date. And for us, this pandemic's really led to uh, a multiplier of our business. I mean, we've closed $110 million year to date. And last year we did 135 million in business. So we're almost ahead by double. 
as a result, as a result of demand, just based on lifestyle. But um, if I was looking back towards uh, the beginning of my career, I'd say get very comfortable being rejected and be very comfortable with people saying no. You know, just like when somebody calls off my mailer, hey, please take me off of my off of your mailing list. I'm never selling my house. Click. You know, no problem. I'm so glad to hear from you. You know, always respond positively and, you know, take that, take that uh, negative remark as, as just a checkbox, you know, next and be systematic. That's the other thing. If I would have started my career with less of this frenzy and trying to, trying to, you know, fit into chaos instead of controlling it and controlling that, that schedule and really the narrative of my career, I feel like I would have been, you know, further along faster. So being systematic about your approach, whether it's prospecting, you know, every day, have a ideal daily schedule where you can um, filter through what is a necessity first. I always tell my team it's called eating the frog. And the first thing they do when they wake up, they need to knock out the hardest task of the day. That way they can focus on being most productive as their day goes on. But um, proactivity and being systematic, you know, it's, it's very simple. Love that. Start with the hard task of the day. Knock that out first and then it makes it a lot easier. You're right. At the end of the day, you know, the, your brain starts to get tired. It is a lot harder to, you know, to get aggressive at two or three in the afternoon or, or to knock that stuff out. So Jonathan, if anyone wants to reach out to you, if they've got a referral to send you out to Florida, they want some advice, what's the best way people can find you? Yeah. The best way for people to find me are um, through our social media channels. So you can find me on Instagram at Spears Group or at Jonathan M. Spears. Also on our website, spearsgroupflorida.com. And it's just spearsgroupfl.com. So I'm always happy to, to answer questions or, uh, of course, field referrals. But um, use me as a resource. I would love it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jonathan. And you guys heard it. Find him on Instagram. Uh, you know, go reach out to him and the uh, and see with questions. I mean, there's so much info in here. And I knew there was a lot more questions we could ask as, as we got to get on there. But thanks for getting on there today. You did not disappoint and hope to have you back soon. Thanks again, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful please I need you to pull out your pointing finger yes the one finger that points at people and hit subscribe yes subscribe the more subscribers we get the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on the million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.